Hey, before we begin, I want to talk a little bit about what's going on in Ukraine and invite you to be a part of something amazing to help Ukrainian first responders. As you know, the war in Ukraine has been going on now for uh, almost two months, and it's having a huge toll on Ukrainian first responders, firefighters, medics, who are responding not only to the local emergencies that are going on on a typical day, but also responding to now the uh, uh, rocket attacks, missile attacks, shelling attacks on Ukrainian civilians and infrastructure, and uh, you know, often be, often coming under fire themselves as they respond to these emergencies. And I have some connections there. I recently spoke with a emergency services director for the city of Dnipro, the Dnipro region in Ukraine. And he said they are in desperate need of radios and turnout gear, uh, fire, uh, uh, actually oxygen masks and other uh, chemical masks that they can use in case of chemical warfare. Uh, they could really use some of this equipment. And I have a friend in Ukraine who's on the ground in Ukraine. She lives there. She's a Ukrainian citizen who is a good friend of mine who is helping helping to bring these types of equipment and others to first responders. And so if you want to make a contribution, if you want to make a difference, if you want to help, there's a link in the show notes here on YouTube and on our podcast channel. There's a link in the show notes that where you can make a contribution. We've had people do that already. Uh, the radios that they're trying to purchase for some of these guys are like $160. And so if you can give uh, a, a one-time gift of $160, or if you can give whatever you can make a donation for, that would be fantastic. 100% of your donation will go directly to help these first responders in Ukraine. And so check out the link and make a contribution. I'd really appreciate that. And now onto the show. Welcome to PTSD 911 Presents. My name is Conrad Weaver. I'm so glad you decided to join us today. Thank you for, for listening, for watching, wherever, whatever channel you are watching us from or listening. Thank you for doing that. If you have not subscribed to our channel, I really encourage you to do that. Hit the subscribe button, whether it's on YouTube or whether it's on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you are watching or listening, subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. We have some amazing interviews coming in the near future, and I don't want you to miss them. So please subscribe and then share it with your tribe. Invite others to subscribe and to listen or watch with you. You know, uh, we are bringing you this content free of charge, and we are also working on a documentary film called PTSD 911. It's a story about first responders and the traumas that they face. And we're hoping to inspire change in agencies. We're hoping to help break the stigma of asking for help. And we wanna raise awareness so the general public has a better understanding of what first responders do on a day-to-day -day basis. And so that's the really point behind this program and the, the point behind our film. And uh, I wanna encourage you, if you have not been a supporter of the film to date, uh, please make a contribution. Consider what you can give. We are scraping the bottom of the barrel, so to speak, in our funding for the film. And our goal is to be done with production in the next couple of months and then go into post-production. And by October this year, have a film ready to release. So, But we need funding to be able to finish it and to, to get to the end zone. So if you can make a contribution, a tax-deductible contribution, Go to our website, ptsd911movie.com, and click on the, on the uh, 
uh, support button there and make a contribution for whatever level you can make, whether it's $10 or $100 or $1,000 or, or even more, we'd be so grateful for your support and for helping us get this film made into the end zone. And so we bring you as a part of that film, we, we have this channel, have this podcast. And so we bring you these interviews of interesting people that we've met along the way and leaders in the first responder community. And today's guest is no exception. Jennifer White is a 23 year veteran of the 911 operations in East Tennessee. And she has a passion for investing in people. She is the 911 director at the Loudoun County, Tennessee Emergency Communications District. And she is also the 2021, 2022 president of the National Emergency Number Association or NINA as it's, as it's commonly called. She leads the organization's more than 17,000 members in advancing Nina's mission to improve 911 through research, standards development, training, education, outreach, and advocacy. She has been a public safety professional for more than 23 years, and we're so grateful that she took time out of her busy schedule to talk to me a few weeks ago. So here's my conversation with Jennifer White. Jennifer, welcome to PTSD 911 Presents. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. So I am the uh, current Nina president. Um, so that's been my last year of uh, role. Um, I will be the past president coming up at the annual conference in June. Um, and then my day job, I'm a 911 director of a consolidated PSAP uh, in eastern Tennessee. So for the uninitiated and for some of my audience who may not know what Nina is, what is Nina? Oh, Nina is the National Emergency Number Association or the 911 Association. Um, and we are the standards uh, setting and development organization for the 911 industry. Uh, so we do standards and best practices, uh, education and training um, for all of our members across the U.S. and internationally. And you've been, I read your bio and you've been in the 911 as a 911 professional for a long time. What got you into doing this job? I have been here a long time. I'm on 25 years now. Um, and I started out actually um, as an EMT and then moved into being a paramedic in the field and uh, decided to get into 911 at the same time just to supplement my income. Uh, so I was a part time dispatcher. Um, while I was working full-time in an ambulance. And so I ended up uh, flopping those and doing full-time 911 and part-time uh, EMS and just kind of fell in love with it and worked my way up from being a part-time dispatcher to all the way to director at every level in between. So I just always wanted to help people. I know that's the general answer, but there's just something about um, being the only person people can look to when they need something and being able to provide that forum that is appealing to me. Yeah. You know, I, I hear that a lot from, from first responders is we just wanted to help and wanted to be, yeah. you know, that, and, and that's awesome. So what are some, as, as, as an organization, as Nina, what are some of your primary objectives? What are some of your primary goals that you have? Well, for Nina, the training and education piece is important to us. We want to provide our uh, membership the tools that they need to do the jobs that they do uh, and ensure that they're the, the highly educated and, and have every resource they need. Um, our 
primary focus in addition to training and education has been uh, mental health and wellness um, for our membership. Um, that's something that's been uh, completely ignored in the past and thankfully over the last several years has come to the forefront that our first first responders need that assistance. So you'll see a lot of stuff coming from Nina uh, to address mental health and, and wellness of our members uh, along with investment. That's been kind of my theme over the last year is invest in yourself, invest in your career, invest in Nina uh, and, and what you'll reap from doing that. Hmm. So you've seen it on the the, you know, responding to, to actual, you know, locations as a EMT, as a paramedic, what are some of the unique challenges and, and specifically unique stressors that 911 professionals have compared to someone who's out in the field? You know, I think that what's unique to the stress that 911 professionals deal with is they are responding to that call. They have to make the initial response to the caller and then continue the response with uh, the first responders that they're dispatching to help. Uh, and sometimes it's being locked in a room on a phone with someone that's begging you to help and you know that you're doing everything you can. Uh, if it wasn't for you, they wouldn't obviously get the help they need. But you're not physically walking to that person and laying your hands on them. And I think that that sometimes gives us a little stress to are, have we done everything we can? Um, are we meeting the needs of the person? And then sometimes we don't get closure um, as a responder. If you're on scene and transport that patient or, or whatever the situation may be, you s visually see what happens to that person at the end of the day. And sometimes our 911 professionals don't get that closure. So they talk to somebody at the worst minutes of their lives they help them through that and then they never hear from them again or don't know what happened to them. And I think that provides a whole different level of stress. Hmm. Do, do you, in your experience, have you ever had times when those uh, firefighters, those medics have come back or responded back and given you feedback as to what happened to that situation? Yeah, lots of times. And I think that's where you build relationships, invest in your partnerships with your responding agencies, make them see that the 911 professionals are a piece in that chain of response. Um, and so that they can see the reason that it's beneficial to follow back up. I know just in talking to people that I've, I've known on both sides of the microphone, so to speak, uh, there's often some uh, kind of back and forth banter. Sometimes uh, police officers or firefighters give you guys a hard time. Sometimes you guys give them a hard time. Is that kind of how you guys build relationships and how do you build that camaraderie? I think so. I think that you've got to invest in relationships with the agencies that you work with and dispatch for um, and your responders to, to build some trust there. Uh, you're handing them somebody's situation and asking them to respond to it. They're trusting that you're gathering all the information that you can and providing them all the details. Um, so you have to build that rapport a little bit with them. Most often, it's almost like siblings. Um, it's one of those where I can pick on somebody. I wouldn't want you to pick on them. But um, so they kind of go back and forth that way. You know, everybody thinks they're busier than the other agencies and uh, give you a hard time if, if you give them too many calls or not enough. Um, so that's just part of it, I think. Mm -hmm. So on, on a personal level, have you or, or why is, you know, mental health and wellness important to you? You know, I um, have always been an advocate for 911 
professionals are first responders and they are the first first responders. They're dealing with people at their worst times, calming them down out of unimaginable circumstances to glean information and provide that to responders. Um, and so I've, I've been on that bandwagon, for lack of a better term, uh, for a really long time. Uh, and it's nice that people are finally starting to realize when they do debriefings for first responders that have responded to a tragic event, they're including the dispatch first responders and the 911 professionals that are first responders because they're starting to recognize, hey, wait, they, they have some stress and, and things going on, too. Um, as a director and as being in my role with Nina, Staffing and, and turnover is a, a nationwide crisis in our 911 industry. I think the lack of mental health resources and the lack of identifying um, reasons that people go through uh, PTSD and, and not providing them resources has contributed to that staffing crisis overall. Um, and I think we'll be better for it if we start telling people there are resources available, recognizing when they have issues and letting them know it's okay to not be okay. Mm -hmm. I know in talking to some 911 professionals, you know, that who have been in it for a long time, they said in the early days, it was, you know, a couple hours of training and then you're here, answer the phone. And that was about it. What is involved today in training and how does mental health and wellness fit into that? So, of course, today there's way more resources to train people to look for the signs and symptoms that they're dealing with stress or a coworker's dealing with stress or a subordinate um, is dealing with stress. We've identified critical situations like officer-involved shootings or child deaths or things like that that have proven over time to be a huge stressor and a huge component of negative impacts on mental health for our 911 professionals. So having those things identified, training people more on what to look for and what resources are available within your own agency and then as an industry, um, I think has helped improve that overall. And again, I think just having the conversations, you know, uh, years ago, the the mentality was more if I were to come and say a call bothered me, my management might have thought I wasn't going to be able to be a dispatcher because if you can't handle it, then why are you here? And and finally, people have realized that that's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of somebody saying, I need to address this so that I can continue to be an amazing 911 professional. Um, and hopefully, if we identify those issues and continue to, we can save that person in the profession instead of losing them to something else. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that focus on wellness, mental health is universal or is it still a kind of a growing thing in, in across the U S I think it's a growing thing across the U S. Um, but I think we've made a lot of headway over the last several years. Um, all the, the national associations that have to deal with public safety are recognizing 911 professionals as first responders in some way, shape or form. And so we're starting to get included in that. Um, you know, PTSD training and, and research came out of the military and then started moving into first responders. And finally, it's it's coming in, you know, full circle. 
Um, but I think a lot of entities are starting to include those 911 professionals when they do those debriefings after bad events. Um, they're including them in anything that they do for wellness. That's That's been a change and a shift, I think, in the industry is now you see people doing um, healthy meal plans and how to eat better when you're stuck behind a console for, you know, 10, 12 hours, um, making better choices in exercise, yoga and dispatch, those kind of things that um, have just really started coming to the surface over the last year or two, um, I think will start to become more of a commonplace. And I know that, you know, many, you know, most 911 professionals sit a lot but I've noticed when I was at the Nina convention last year, there's a lot of companies who are building the stand-up desks or where you push a button and you can stand up for a while and kind of change your position. Is that helping as well? I think so. Just so people aren't just so glued to one position throughout the day and they're actually getting up and moving around. You know, there's different challenges that are going around. And I think that's from people being more aware, you know, um, just regular frontline dispatchers are posting on, Facebook, I'm going to do a squat challenge and challenge all the other 911 professionals to do uh, 20 squats an hour or, you know, whatever it may be. And um, it looks a little funny when you walk through the dispatch and you see somebody <laughs> doing that. But it's it's really a testament to where we're going in the future with let's keep people healthy in, in their overall wellness and not just address them when they deal with a tragic event. Let's prepare them so that they'll be better to handle that event. Mm -hmm. I hear last year I visited the Pinole Police Department in Pinole, California, and they're really focused on wellness as, as an agency. And up in their call center, uh, they have fish tanks up along the wall. And this is something they brought in a few years ago and the 911 dispatchers and, and call takers there are taking care of these fish. And they said, it's such, it's really therapeutic to have these glowing fish tanks up on the wall. And so it's really a cool thing to have. Yes. And, and they also, uh, there at the agency, they have a therapy dog that they have brought in. And the first place this dog goes every morning is up to the call center. And those ladies up there in the call center just really love, uh, having him up there and, and I get a lot of enjoyment out of that. So mm -hmm. there's some really cool things happening that I've seen personally in the 911 world to, to help, uh, you know, kind of mitigate some of this stress that, uh, you know, 911 dispatchers have, yes. uh, what have you seen or how can you begin this conversation with someone with a, maybe a whole unit, an agency that, uh, perhaps hasn't been focused on mental health? What, you know, how do you start that conversation? I think um, one way to start it is going back to the staffing crisis. You know, a lot of 911 centers or dispatch centers are run under law enforcement or maybe a fire department. And so the, sometimes in those worlds, that leadership's looking at fire and police and kind of the communication side might be on a back burner. And so I think that it's nice to go in to say, look, this is how many people we've had turnover, positions we've had turnover, and how many sick days we've used. Um, because if you go back and look at all of those things, it's not always somebody that's sick. It's not always, you know, a reason for them to be out. A lot of times the mental stress and anguish of the job without it being addressed is contributing to all of that stuff. And so I think if you present it in that way and make them realize there is a problem, and then come up with some solutions. And you could start small with, like you said, the therapy dogs. 
even if you don't have one in your area, most law enforcement agencies have canine units. We've started the canine units and our agency have started bringing their dogs on their training day by our communication center at least once a month. And as you said, people love on the dogs and they just enjoy it. Um, and, and just see if those small things check-ins with people and just, hey, how are you doing? You know, um, between leadership and, and the, the frontline staff and small things will make a big difference over time. And I think presenting it in a way that people can, it's a tangible thing that you have absenteeism. It's a tangible thing that you have turnover. And it's tangible that it's taxing on budgets to train those replacements and, and feel backfill and overtime. And so showing leadership that those issues are there and how you can address them by just something so small, uh, just to contribute to the mental health and well-being of your people uh, would make a big difference. What's something practical someone can do? Perhaps they're a 911 dispatcher or, or call taker, and they're in an agency that hasn't done some of these things as far as wellness. What can someone do if they're kind of seeing in themselves that, hey, I'm having some some problems? What should I do to take to take care of that? I think that they should have obviously talked to their uh, supervisors and, and let them know what's happening. Um, I would hope that that supervisor would have resources for them. Um, but I know that that's not always the case. So if I had any advice for a frontline person that was dealing with some issues and their agency just didn't really respond accordingly, know that you have employee assistance uh, programs that are typically built in with your insurance. Um, you are allowed those sessions through your insurance provider. Call the number on the back of your card and check with them and see if they have any counseling resources for you. Find a peer. It doesn't have to be someone in the comm center. Sometimes we're a little private about what we're talking about. Um, but I guarantee you've got some connections with an outside agency, a firefighter, a police officer, a paramedic that probably understands the world you're in. Um, go to our association's resources. Nina has a mentoring um, program with on, on its website where you can go in and find a, a mentor and be able to connect with that person and say, hey, I'm dealing with this. Have you ever dealt with it? And then start that dialogue. Reach out and say, I'm having some trouble. Where do I go? And find those resources. Yeah, I think being connected to other people that have the same experience is really important. That's why an organization like Nina is really important that can bring those people together. And mm -hmm. speaking of bringing together, you guys have a have a have a convention coming up later this year. Talk Thank a little you. bit about that and what that does for a 911 professional. So we have an annual conference. We have multiple conferences throughout the year that are focused on different things, but our annual conference is our largest. Um, that's where we have uh, educational tracks and programs for every level of a 911 professional. There's a supervision leadership, there's frontline dispatch, there's uh, every aspect. And so a, an attendee can come there. They can get all kinds of training and education based on where they are in the 911 industry. Um, they can learn about new trends and technologies um, and new initiatives like mental health and wellness and resources that we're exploring and programs that we're trying they can learn about how they can become involved because we are our standards and best practice body, but we use our membership to develop those standards and best practices. 
So if mental health and wellness is something that you're interested in, you can actually become a contributor to any programs that Nina puts out in reference to mental health and wellness just by volunteering. And so all of that information will be available at our annual conference. Uh, vendors are there, as you mentioned. Um, vendors are also uh, trying to address the needs of the 911 industry by, uh, for wellness and mental health by making consoles that are set to stand, um, exercise chairs, you know, treadmills, things like that. So the vendors with the latest and greatest uh, technologies will be there as well. And then networking, that's where you meet people and that's where you build those relationships where you just have a sidebar conversation that says, you know, I had this tragic event and it's bothering me. Have you ever had anything like that? And and build those networks. And it's may you may meet somebody completely out of your area, out of state at this event, but they could become a great person for you to talk to up here to go back and forth when you have issues. I know when I was there in Columbus last summer, I also talked to and met some people who are who have recovery centers or have treatment centers that work with 911 professionals. Mm-hmm. So, so there's access to some of those folks as well. Uh, I know technology is evolving and I, I spoke with someone last year about some of the new technology in 911 where there is now video coming in in some places and you know you, you get that that first look at what's going on on scene live. How are those kind of technologies impacting the stress level on 911 operators? You know, I think it's going to be immense um, as this this unfolds because you have people that choose to be 911 professionals because they don't want they want to help people and they want to be the first first responder, but they might not necessarily want to see what's happening um, and or see the devastation and versus you know the the field responders. So now people that might have chosen this path for that reason are now going to be subjected to that. Um, And not only that, but it's bad to hear the things. It's going to be bad to hear and see the things at the same time and try the stress of trying to put all that together in a nice little package for the responders, because now you're not only hearing things and picking up on key words and repeating those to the officers, you are now hearing, picking up on keywords and visually trying to pick up clues and and pieces. And I think the stress of making sure you don't miss something important is going to be just as bad as what you were actually seeing with your eyes. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's going to bring a new challenge to us as an industry and why it's so important that we're now on this path to take care of our people and teach people how to tra- to address issues before we get into that realm. That's so important. I know I'm I'm talking with a psychologist actually out of Nashville and he talks about left of bang, the you know, you know getting ready before the incident happens and having and I think that's what you're talking about is is having that training, that resilience training, that preparation so that when those things happen, that you're prepared for it and know how to deal with it. So, so how, how do you take care of yourself as a leader now? And, and as a, even a national leader, how do you take care of yourself in, in the area of mental health and wellness? You know, I think that's important because I, I feel like I do a good job of that on a regular basis. Um, 
I do. I work out. I enjoy my family. You know, I have a lot of activities and hobbies that I do. I do a lot of reading on mental health and wellness and know what to look for and that kind of thing. So I feel like overall I do really well at it. Um, I know myself as leader, as a leader, and I would think there's others that are in the same role. You're always taking care of other people. So we just had at my agency an event in on in February um, where we had an officer killed tragically, um, and it was devastating um, to our entire staff. And we're we're still learning and doing some mental health and wellness because of that recent event. More so, we're learning as we go because we're doing more than we have done in the past to ensure the well-being of the people involved. Um, but about a week into the the event, one of my uh, employees, one of my 911 employees, um, I was checking in with her and she texts back and said, it just hit me. I'm not sure who checks on you. Hmm. And, you know, it didn't even really honestly cross my mind. I would have my breakdowns with the situation. Um, but I was so busy and so focused on a checklist and the post-trauma checklist and have I done this for my people? Have I offered this? Have I done that? That I really was not focusing on myself. So here I am saying mental health, wellness, make sure you're okay. But I hadn't done that for myself. So having that question posed to me um, made me really step back for a minute and and make sure that I had addressed my my, uh, mental state in that time frame. Um, but it brought up some very valid points. And I think as leaders, we've got to remember to include ourselves in what we're doing for our employees. Um, and that's not always easy to do. It's kind of like when you're in an airplane and the flight attendant tells you to, you know, if the oxygen mask falls, put it on yourself first before yes. you help help the next person. That's great because that's true. And if 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 I hadn't... I think my personality and, and the way I had constantly taken care of my, trying to take care of my wellness and my mental health prepared me for it. But had I not been in that role and this tragic event had happened, then I, I wouldn't have been in any condition to put the mask on someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that realizing why you're so focused on your team members that you've also got to have a plan for your leadership team. Mm-hmm. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that because that that's the kind of thing that we need to be talking about and sharing those personal stories that, that this is what I'm dealing with and this is where I didn't quite focus. And I think that will help kind of get the needle pointing in the right direction for everyone. Yeah. And and, and we, we are learning through this event so much. Um, very close knit group where I'm at and um, the dispatchers that and 911 professionals that were involved in the actual incident we pulled them off and gave them time off immediately. Um, but we've had to learn that walking through the 911 center on any given Tuesday, there may be somebody crying. And and we say, cry, you're fine. We let them cry. We let them yell if they want to yell because they're doing their jobs. But every now and then it just gets too heavy on them and they just have to have a moment. And sometimes that's yelling and cussing, but we let them do that too. <laughs> So, but we've had to learn this is not a process that when the funeral services are done, it's done because it's definitely not been. Um, And so um, we're learning as we go to to go through and just it's okay to have some unexpected events happen after the fact. Mm -hmm. 
So what kind of person does it take to be a 911 professional? I think it takes somebody obviously that wants to, to contribute to the greater good. Um, you know, they want to help people. Um, you have to have somebody, uh, it's, it's interesting because I want to say that's kind of a people person, but if you go into a 911 center, you'll think they're not people mm. persons because they, <laughs> they make comments and different things, but, um, but at the core, they want to help people. Um, they have to have the ability to de-stress and manage very, very stressful situations. Um, I tell people all the time, you're taking normal people and putting them in abnormal situations and asking them to respond at the highest efficiency. And that's difficult because not every person is able to talk to a mother who just ran over her child in the driveway, Mm. but someone has to be able to do it. So you just have to know that you have it in you to talk that person down and, and help them and that you're the only person that can do it. Um, and then, uh, being able to multitask and put everything together is, is good. I think you have to have a little bit of a twisted sense of humor, because if you don't, you don't get through it as easily as some of the others. Um, being super sensitive might be difficult, you know, but being sensitive to your environment and your needs is definitely not something that's negative. Um, so there's a fine balance there to make sure that people are educated on how to, to be that way. I know when I've been, I turned on my scanner. If I hear something that's going on, I turn on the scanner and I listen to the dispatchers, you know, dispatching fire or police. They just have this kind of a calm voice. Is that something that's trained or is that, that what, uh, you know, how, how do you train for something like that? You know, I think, yeah, I think that it's a little bit of both. I think that people have that nature, that calming nature. But I think it can also be trained because you're given scenarios in controlled environments when you're training and how you respond to those. Um, you know, it's kind of like um, muscle memory. You know, um, a police officer that's going to the the range and shooting a gun over and over and over again. And then when he's in a heightened situation and has to pull his weapon, he relies on muscle memory and his training to just deploy that weapon. And it's the same for a call taker, not one professional dispatcher, because you train and train and train in controlled environments. And then when you get in those uncontrolled environments, you respond just accordingly. It just becomes natural. Mm-hmm. Well, it's an amazing work that you all do. And you're the unseen heroes in the in the first responder world. And so I want to say from, from, from me to you, thank you for your service and for serving your community and for now serving the the nation as as a leader in the 911 world. So thank you thank for that. You. Thank you so yeah. much. It's been and an I, honor. And I appreciate you being on the program and look forward to uh, seeing more 911 uh, professionals at the convention this year. So speaking of the convention, how can people sign up? How, what's the process there? Where, where do they go to find more information? Uh, so you can go to Nina's website, which is nina.org, N-E-N-A.org. Um, and registration is already on the website. Uh, housing is open. Um, and then there'll be more obviously coming as we get closer as far as uh, conference schedule and agenda. Um, so people can make arrangements to do that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for being here today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me today on the PTSD 911 Presents. Really appreciate uh, the, the work you're doing in the 911 community. And I look forward to seeing you again this summer in Louisville for the Nina Convention. I appreciate you giving me a spot there to share a little bit about what we're doing with our film project. Thank you for listening, for watching, for wherever you are from. I really appreciate that. If you have not subscribed to the YouTube channel or to our Apple podcast, please hit the subscribe button and give a review. Let us know what you thought about the program. Let us know what you think about what we're doing with this channel. I really appreciate that. Hey, thank you. If you are a first responder, thank you for your service. Thank you for serving your community. Go and be well. Take care of yourself. Take care of those around you. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you again next time.